0: Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio presented by Rageworks, episode 250 uh, for Thursday, October 20, uh, excuse me, Thursday, <laughs> Wednesday, October twenty second, two 2014. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call in number 347-324-3541. See that? I take a week off. I get a little rusty. Uh, you can hit up our feedback line 3478150687 that's 3478150mtr. If you want to join in the chat you can go to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv and interact with all the other listeners plus yours truly while the show is in progress. The archived episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If this is your first time tuning in, Uh, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. It is rated M for Mature. Our broadcast schedule is Wednesdays MMA and Wrestling and Thursdays Gaming Entertainment and sometimes a little tech thrown in there for good measure. All right, so as many of you know, if you guys were picking up the archived episodes, you know that we sent out a broadcast announcement regarding our schedule for the remainder of the month now. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, This week is a full week of shows. Of course, we got a show today and we do have a show tomorrow. But be advised that there will not be a show next week because we will be covering the Photo Plus Expo. We will be there Wednesday and Thursday, possibly Friday. Uh, Not 100% sure about Saturday, but we will definitely be there um, Wednesday and Thursday. So if you're in New York City and you're heading to the Photo Plus Expo, drop me a line. At Rage underscore Works or at My Take Radio on Twitter. Always nice to meet uh, listeners and fellow broadcasters. So definitely drop me a line. So where where, where were we last week? What were we doing? Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, a couple of things were going on last week. Uh, last week we were at the Get Geeked event, which we are still processing video for. Yours truly was running the live stream for the event. And um, It was amazing. It was a tremendous experience. I had a really good time. Uh, Definitely uh, a learning curve, obviously, just getting comfortable in front of the camera in in a different atmosphere. I mean, even now at 250 episodes, still get a little nervous, still get a little fidgety on camera. But um, overall, it was great. We met a lot of great uh, companies. We met a lot of great representatives for some really awesome companies. I mean, the company that jumped out to me the most were... Get this: uh, two seventeen-year-old guys that created their own smartwatch, totally closed. And um, the beauty of it is that this particular watch ran, has its own ecosystem, doesn't need Android, doesn't need iOS, and it was created by two seventeen-year-old kids. They launched it at the Get Geek event. It was an, uh, just an amazing thing to see. I mean, a seventeen years old—you know—we were chasing skirts, doing really dumb, reckless shit, but. These kids, these kids, these guys, um, work are creating a smartwatch. Uh, the guys are one of the guys. Uh, his name is Eddie. has the title of CEO already. Just it, it's it's just an it was an amazing experience to to, to see two seventeen year old guys um, put out a, a full a full smartwatch. It was it was insane. So um, definitely props to them. that and and hopefully we'll get a review unit so you guys can check it out uh they created this watch for students so that they wouldn't fall asleep in class um it's called the spark and once i get more information i will try and share it with you guys but the videos that we did take for the live stream i am actually uploading them to the RageWorks youtube channel in case you guys didn't know we have uh, my take radio tv on youtube which is getting on, on pretty much all the show stuff and then a lot of the other stuff, movie trailers, game trailers, etc., that's gonna start going on our RageWorks channel, which is YouTube.com forward slash official RageWorks. So if you weren't aware, that is the YouTube channel going forward for all our RageWorks related stuff. Uh, the My Take Radio TV channel will remain, and that will be getting just our our show audio, you know, our show audio, our show video, and stuff just related to the show as a whole, everything else will be going to the RageWorks YouTube channel. Also, um, on Saturday, I had the pleasure of attending KirinCon at Pace University. KirinCon is a um, an anime, video game, and Japanese culture convention organized by the students of Pace University. And myself and Danny from Royal Flush Magazine were invited to speak about um, covering events, journalism ethics, and it was probably one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of. And I'm not saying that just because, you know, I was a speaker and I was a, you know, I was doing a keynote, but because there are so many college kids and, and just so many people younger than myself. And most of our listeners that are really into starting their own site, becoming a part of, of the new media um, experience and to see so many young people taking notes, asking questions I it, it it was it was great. And these these individuals, these students, they were they were sucked in. They came in, they sat down and they were ready to rock and roll. They were taking notes. They were asking questions. And, you know, afterwards, I had a, a really big uh, not a big moment of clarity. But I realized that what I'm doing and, you know, what many of you guys that run your own podcasts and your own sites um <laughs> everyone is younger than yeah. i'm not that old jesus christ <laughs> but but in all seriousness um you know it w- it was it was very cool it was very cool to see uh, so many people just asking so many questions and being genuinely interested in cre- you know creating a presence for themselves and covering events correctly and using the right ethics to to cover events and it's funny because i i shared on i shared yesterday on facebook just some stats for the show you know, how we're approaching 2,000 downloads a month, et cetera, et cetera. And I wrote in my update that it's not about the free shit. It's not about attending events. It's about paying it forward, creating something unique, uh, special, and still maintaining my own voice. And to see the show being downloaded globally is just incredible. And like I said, being able to share that with a new generation of, of bloggers, podcasters, and new media content producers was just an amazing, amazing experience. So, for for me, it was it, it was a crazy, crazy week. And next week is going to get even crazier. And the week after that, we got Engadget Expand in November. We're also going to be at Tech 808, which we're really looking forward to. Um, especially myself. There's a lot of really great speakers there that I want to interact with and learn from. And you know, it's just it's just been a wild ride. So, um, it's it's uh, our broadcast schedule is going to be a little funky and. For those of you that are trying to get the shows on a weekly basis, I apologize. But we are trying to put other content out there. Um, We got a buried Halloween special from Quark and Blade. Those guys, they did a really great job with it. Uh, You can check that out. Uh, We interviewed the organizers from KieranCon. That's up there as well. Plus, we're going to try and throw some other stuff up there for the remainder of the week that we're not doing live shows. So there you have it. That's where we're at. Uh, A couple of other things I want to get into, just some housekeeping as a whole um mytakeradio.com is currently being transitioned to the same layout as rageworks we've been doing a lot of testing behind the scenes so once again all the archive content that's there uh, movie reviews game reviews etc it is not going anywhere uh, a couple of people still ask me so i got to remind them uh, that content isn't going anywhere but anything else all our new content is on rageworks.net i can't stress it enough uh, definitely rageworks.net Add it to your RSS feeds if that's how you're getting your updates. And we're also going to try and start doing email newsletters. I mean, I was doing them for my take radio, but I kind of dropped off because it's, it's just another thing that has to be done, but I'm going to try and do that going forward. Just try to do stuff via the newsletter and give newsletter subscribers some, some cool perks as well. As for the My Take Radio app going free, we are still working on it. It probably will not be finalized until 2015. So I figured I would put that out there as well. So what's on deck for tonight? We're going to talk about the week's MMA news, including War Machine attempting suicide. Which, as 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 funny as it is, for a multitude of reasons, it's just the the guy just doesn't get it. We're going to get into that. Um, we're going to talk about. Obviously, the Cain Velasquez situation and what that does for the upcoming UFC event. In addition, we're going to talk about Monday Night Raw, and we're going to get into a little bit of uh, armchair booking with regards to the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view that's going down this Sunday. Of course, the Rageworks MTR staff will be holding it down with the live blog, and you'll be able to check that out and follow along on Sunday night. So, let's get the ball rolling and jump into the week's MMA news, shall we? All right. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get the latest and greatest MMA gear, fighter tees, rash guards, kick pads or the training gear that you can find, plus all your favorite fighter warranties, head over to MMAWarehouse.com. As always, look for promo codes and banners on MyTakeRadio.com and RageWorks.net. Of course, clicking those helps us out and allows us to continue adding and improving the show and the sites as well. All right, so first up, New UFC signee Holly Holm, who everybody's been watching very closely. She is probably the most talked about fighter, second to Gina Carano with regards to an Octagon debut. Has officially got a date with Raquel Pennington for UFC 181 on December 6th. Now, Raquel Pennington is definitely not a can, a very talented fighter. And I think she's going to definitely be a good opponent to welcome Holly Holm into the Octagon. I don't know how many fights they plan on giving her before giving her a title opportunity, but I will say that Ronda Rousey and Kat Zingano are scheduled to square off January 3rd, so I'm assuming Holly Holm will probably get two fights, and if Ronda's still champion, then they're probably going to want to set that up for the big cash grab, maybe even um, right right in the middle of the spring, depending on how fast Ronda Rousey heals up. Excuse me, which considering... As of late, she, um, you know, she just came back from the hand injury. Uh, she had a really good track record of not getting injured, so we will see what happens. I personally am very interested in the Ronda Rousey kadzingano fight for a couple of reasons. First off, uh, you have a very, very, very dangerous striker in Cadzengano coming off, you know, some some personal issues that she had to deal with and a pretty solid performance in the octagon of course ronda rousey's coming off an injury and continues to work on her stand-up technique so it's going to be interesting to see if ronda rousey is going to be is going to be willing to go out there and stand and trade with katzingano or if if she's going to try and take the fight to the ground like i said that fight goes down january 3rd all right so as i said war machine uh tried to commit suicide and myself and jay santi we kind of talked about this a little bit off air and we we kind of joked about it because this is a guy this, this is a guy who considers himself an alpha male uh one of the toughest dudes in the game and he's in there he's in he's behind he's behind bars and rather than just take his charges like a man and do what he's got to do i'm going to take the easy way out and hang myself um with a blanket so he wrote a suicide note, which, depending on how you read it, it's either incredibly tragic, depressing, or just just the rantings of a lunatic. But in any event, TMZ did get um the suicide note, big shocker there, and they did share some of it. It was a three-page handwritten letter, and um, you know, he said his goodbyes to his friends and family. Here's the excerpt that they shared: "Um, I die proudly when it is no longer possible to live proudly." Nietzsche. If you are reading this, um, uh, Nietzsche, excuse me. If you are reading this, then it must be a wrap. I refuse to live a parasitic life, relying on taxes and the generosity of friends for food and shelter, never being able to give back. To Christy, my one true love, I love you and I planned on being with you forever. Finding what, finding what I found that night was devastating to me more than you will ever know. Not just the unfaithfulness, but the way you cared for him and protected him. I'm a good person with a huge heart, and everybody who knows me knows that, especially Christy. He closed out his letter by saying, I was never meant to live in this era anyway. Follow your lives, uh, follow your dreams, and think for yourselves. As I said before, uh, War Machine is facing 32 different criminal charges relating to his alleged beating of Christy Mack and her um, her friend, whatever the case may be, uh, former reality TV star, Corey Thomas. Um, now here's the thing looking at that letter. Well, you always got to say alleged slick, just because you don't want to, you don't want it to be considered slander. You know, I'm always kind of iffy with that stuff. So that's why I said alleged, but, um, in any event, looking at Christy And the injuries sustained by Corey Thomas, especially if you look at the police report that is floating around the Internet. um, Tap, nap and snap did a great job sharing that immediately. You will see that this is a guy that pretty much if 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 fate hadn't intervened, he probably would have killed that woman. The the feed cut off. Hold on a second, guys. The uh, the Block talk radio feed seemed to cut off. Let me uh, dial back in real quick. Of course, hold on a moment, guys. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a special MTR without uh, Block Talk Radio shitting the bed. All right, let's try that again. Anyway, as I was saying... <laughs> exactly, Brian, exactly. Um, as I was saying, you look at a guy like War Machine, and the guy, if fate hadn't intervened, he probably would have killed Christy Mack. And what bothers me about this... Is the fact that even even at this case, even in this case, people are still trying to find ways to defend what the guy did. I was I was when this story got out, I saw a couple of guys on Twitter and they were saying, "Oh well, you know, if if she wouldn't have been cheating on the dude, she wouldn't have caught that ass whooping," etc. 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 And whether whether you believe in the old school way of doing things or the new school way of doing things or you're chivalrous, the fact is that. You are a a professional fighter, a trained killer, and you're hitting a woman that you probably outweigh by at least 100 pounds. There's there's just there's no rationale to justify that. What bothers me also is the fact that so many people are saying, especially after seeing the photos that are out there. Oh, you know, she she's healing up pretty nicely. It wasn't like he like he made her uh, a cripple and And things like that they've really disturbed me not because it's the internet because the internet at this point nothing would shock me, but the fact that so many people are so cold with regards to to just the approach of of this you know this is a guy who pretty much beat a woman to death you know uh Brian in the chat says if she's cheating on you, you tie her ass up and then you beat the dude's ass and, and you know what it is giving giving citing his example let's let's play devil's advocate say say that he did walk in and his and his chick was stepping out on him the guy that the guy is who you're gonna have to settle up with and even still in this day and age especially with a guy like war machine whose rap sheet is probably as long as this desk it's um there really is no it's it's crazy you don't you don't put your hands on her maybe you st- maybe you square up with the dude maybe you don't, but think about it. The guy has a rap sheet, the the length of my desk, probably even longer. I mean, there was one, there was one arrest where they actually had to put the spit bag over his head because he's just insane. And at that point you say to yourself, all right, clearly my rap sheet is very long. If I, if I beat the fuck out of this dude, I'm going to catch a charge and be in jail for a long time. Is this worth it? And I'm sorry, but You got to think about that, especially in that situation, regardless of whether you flipped out or you want to plead temporary insanity. The fact is that when you have a rap sheet, as long as war machines at this point, you can't afford to even get caught up in a traffic violation. It doesn't make any sense. On the contrary, if he were if he were smart, he should have just turned around and walked out before somebody would have accused him of something rather than going and jumping in headfirst and. And getting himself in the situation he's in. As for him committing suicide, some people some people say, and and it, it's kind of hard to disagree that maybe maybe that's what he deserves. I'm not one to to step in those shoes. Whatever whatever shit you got to deal with, you're gonna deal with in this life or the next, if if there's any afterlife. And with that said, you might as well accept what, accept the hand you're dealt. You're never seeing the light of day ever again you have 32 charges even if you plea some of them down with the rap sheet that you have and the fact that you are a violent offender you're never seeing daylight it's not happening and in that and with that respect i got to say that the the suicide attempt it could be an insanity plea because that's the thing that got me i said to myself maybe war machines contemplating the suicide so he can plead insanity and try and plea out and it's crazy that you have to think that way but it, it The shit could happen, especially if he has a, a, a decent lawyer. A decent lawyer can pitch the insanity defense, and maybe they'll go by that. But still, considering his lengthy rap sheet and the fact that he pretty much almost beat the woman to death, I don't think the insanity defense is going to fly. But as always, we're going to be monitoring this, and as soon as I start hearing more with regards to court dates and stuff like that, I will definitely share it with you guys. Meanwhile, on the flip side... Our UFC uh, welter, uh, welterweight champion is it welterweight? Yep, welterweight champion Chris Weidman um, is being uh, pretty much acknowledged throughout the New York area for an act of heroism that he did recently. He saved a 90-year-old woman who fell through a glass table, and um, she walked out of her driveway. She had glass in her head and all this stuff, and he he tended to her wounds, dialed nine one one, and pretty much being being. Uh, Given a lot of accolades in the mainstream press. And definitely, uh, excuse me, thank you, Brian. Uh, Weidman is middleweight champ, not welterweight. Welterweight is, uh, what's his face? Uh, Beard guy. Johnny Hendricks. Thank you. (laughs) I'm a little rusty. Bear with me. Anyway, so Weidman did the right thing. He saved the old lady. And um, he's been getting a lot of great press for it. Now, here's the thing that bothers me with this story. This story was in the Daily News, Newsday, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And the thing that bothers me about this entire situation is the fact that the UFC is pretty much dry when it comes to mainstream stars. I mean, they're trying to push Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, John Jones. And you got a guy like Chris Weidman, a blue collar guy, has an incredible story, tremendous work ethic, and is just a stand up guy. And the UFC like I and Ben and I have talked about this at length, is just not going out of their way they're not really trying to push this guy, and it really bugs me it really annoys me that that Weidman doesn't get the same level of mainstream press as guys like John Jones or guys like Connor McGregor. Don't get me wrong, John Jones, Connor McGregor, Chale at the time it's um you know those guys you're always going to look at as the gold standard. But we have to also look beyond the trash talking. When you look beyond the trash talking, you got to see that there's fighters that they really can get over. and, And, you know, that's that's a wrestling term, you know, get over with the fans just by being stand up guys, by being role models, by being great fighters, entertaining fighters. I mean, GSP, depending on how you look at him, some people consider him a boring fighter. Some people consider him the gold standard of mixed martial arts. But when GSP was fighting, good, bad, or otherwise, the guy was probably one of the best ambassadors for the sport. I mean, he liked to go out. He liked to, he liked to party. He liked to hang out with the ladies. But you never heard of GSP in any sort of controversy. He was probably the guy that waved the flag of good taste the best uh, second, probably to Anderson Silva, and the only reason I say that is because Anderson Silva definitely got pushed a little bit more when he was feuding with Chael. So in his in his defense, obviously uh, the good nature, uh, the good-hearted nature of Anderson Silva went out the window. But guys like GSP, Chris Weidman, even Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo is probably one of the most dangerous guys in the sport, and he's fighting Chad Mendes this weekend, and nobody gives a shit. And it bothers me to no end because, like, everybody's talking about Conor McGregor being the next guy to challenge for the title. And whether whether that's the case or not, you have to acknowledge the guys that are the bannermen, the guys that that really are ushering in um, just good sportsmanship and great fights. I mean, uh, Brian in the chat says, I can see it like the UFC thinking they need characters who sell tickets, not guys who are clean-cut good guys. And it's true. The UFC, think about it. Brock Lesnar came and left in the UFC. But Brock Lesnar is probably one of the top three guys that yielded the most revenue for the UFC in a short amount of time. Him, GSP, and now Conor McGregor. When you look at Conor McGregor, obviously there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of brashness, but this guy, he pretty much has Ireland behind him. So, you know, that that's great, and that's a good thing to sell tickets, but you also got to remember that you're trying to create the quote-unquote next big sports organization, and you can't always rely on just theatricality and over-the-top antics. I mean, the NFL has it, MLB, NBA, they all have their crazy characters, but amongst all those crazy characters, you do have some stand-up guys, some good guys that people respect, that people admire, and whether you love them or hate them, they're still guys that they get the mainstream press, you know, the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Mannings, the Eli Mannings, um, those guys—they're—they're they're looking at them. They're—you know—it's—it's it's one of those things that even if they're not running out there and doing crazy shit, they're still guys that are talked about in in a respected manner and are still getting a decent amount of press. Now, Brian in the chat says, "Weidman, Rory McDonald, Jose Aldo—what's their hype?" See, I—I I understand where where that question is coming from, and it's true to the average to the layman or to, to a new fan, they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, what's so great about these guys? And that goes back to, you got to go out and you got to make these guys household names. The problem is the UFC doesn't want to invest. They don't want to nurture these guys to create these household names. Like GSP, as much as the UFC feels they're responsible, GSP got popular because of his talents, because he went out there, you know, the Nas Energy deal, the Under Armour deal. Um, you know, those are deals that, yeah, the UFC was involved in, but those are deals that are that involve him. You know, the Captain America, you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier uh, appearing on screen for that. That was all GSP. You know, that was a belief in him as a martial artist and as a personality. Ronda Rousey's in the same camp. Do you guys think that three, four years from now, Ronda Rousey's going to sit around waiting for the next chick, especially if she keeps getting put in movies and making shitload a shitload more money versus getting punched in the face? I don't know, man. It's crazy. But, you know, I, I, I can go on this tangent, and, and I've done it before, but I'm not. I just want to say, you know, Chris Weidman is a stand-up guy, and I think that the organization is doing themselves a disservice by not finding a way to market him correctly. That's all I'm saying. All, I mean, the bulk of your champions outside of the outside of the norm, just don't get the love that they deserve. Brian adds, GSP could give the UFC the big FU by going to Bellator and showing his talents are what got him there, not the UFC. I agree. If GSP went to Bellator, Bellator would probably be on the map like this. Just because that's what Bellator needs. They need the one guy, the one guy to wave the banner. And, I mean, the Bjorn Rebney era, they really got rid of a lot of those guys that, that were... The, the bannerman for the organization. Right now, you got King Mo, uh, Rampage if you want to go that route, maybe Tito Ortiz if you want to go that route, Patricio Pitbull, um, Daniel Strauss. Uh, there's a couple of guys that Bellator has, but Bellator, they are confined in the, in the Viacom closet. So they're not going out there promoting their fighters the same way, but that's only because they have to... They have to answer to Viacom. The UFC is on a different ballgame, but I agree 110% with Brian that if GSP told the the UFC to go fuck themselves and he went to Bellator, he would put that organization on the map, especially if he continues just being the dominant fighter that he's been. Now, the, the same can be said for a lot of these guys. You know, guys, if GSP or Anderson Silva or Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz, those guys went... To, to bellator or world series of fighting maybe that's what turned the, turns the tide but when you look at a, at a guy like brock lesnar who is rumored and i say this with a big set of quotes rumored to be contemplating a return to the cage dana white as much as he tries to not acknowledge it he is probably chomping at the bit for brock lesnar to make another run in the octagon whether, whether he wins or he loses the fact is that brock lesnar Love him or hate him, puts asses in seats. Every every guy that he's fought wants to fight him again, and there's money in those fights. Whether it's Alistair Overeem, Shane Carwin talking about coming out of retirement to fight him, um, you name it, everybody. You know, Brock Lesnar is an enigma. He is he is just such a a, a unique individual that you know he goes out there. And, and he just decides to, yo, I'm going to go fight for Bellator. It it would be insanity. I mean, I, he probably wouldn't do it because UFC will give him a bigger payday, but Viacom has a deeper checkbook. So, Brian, b- before I move on, Brian in the chat gave me an awesome scenario. He goes, picture this, Vanderlei's pissed at the UFC. Here's Sandstorm at Bellator after the Ortiz-Bonner fight. Boom. That would probably make me lose my fucking mind, especially just because Vanderlei... Uh, you know, he, he retired under, under such terrible conditions and, um, you know, t- take it for what it's worth, but I, I'm concerned that the lifetime ban would definitely be a factor in that. But I do think that Vanderlei may get back in the cage internationally. You never know. He may get back and start doing a uh, Muay Thai kickboxing once again, or maybe he might try uh one FC one FC would probably be the best fit for him. Uh, considering that they deal with Japan, Singapore, uh, some of the you know, a lot of a lot of the areas out in the east. So I think that would be a great fit for him. I'd, I'd love to see that, though. I think Vanderlei and Tito Ortiz would be a tremendous fight. I think people would lose their fucking minds. And whether Tito Ortiz gets killed or not by Vanderlei, people would definitely tune in, especially if you give that shit away for free. All right, so. I got to go through a couple of fight cards and a couple of fights that are coming together. Uh, UFC on Fox 13, December 13th, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Claudia Gadeja, who is 12 and 12-0, is taking on Joanna. I'm going to mess up this poor girl's name because uh, she's probably Polish. Uh, Joanna Jed Jedrezik, she is 7-0. and 0. Um, Also on that card, Junior Dos Santos, Stipe Miochik, which is going to be a great main event. Nate Diaz back in the octagon facing off Rafael Dos Santos. Uh, Alistair Overeem is facing Stefan Struve, which um, I hate to say it, but if Alistair Overeem loses to Stefan Struve, they gotta cut him loose. He's gotta go. I hate to say it, but he's gotta go. Bellator, 1FC, maybe Glory Kickboxing, but Alistair Overeem in the UFC, that shit's come and gone. I hate to say it, but the facts are the facts. Also on that card, Derek Brunson and Ed Herman is going to be a very, very good fight. That might that might steal the show. Also, Gabriel Gonzaga, Matt Mitrione, just because both guys are known for violent finishes. And I have a feeling that in that fight, Matt Mitrione is going to make a serious impact and try and make a good run in the heavyweight division. And I think if he, does, if he has a great performance against Gonzaga, I think he'll probably get a, a top 10 opponent and definitely try and secure himself a title opportunity. I'm looking forward to those fights. Like I said, UFC on FOX 13, December 13th, Phoenix, Arizona. It is going to be an awesome, awesome card. Also, um, Henry Kajudo, they finally figured out a weight division to put him in. He is moving to bantamweight, and he also fighting on UFC on FOX 13. He's going to be facing Dustin Kamura, and that's going to be a bantamweight fight. Of course, Kajudo has had issues making weight in the UFC, so this will be his debut At Bantamweight. All signs point to him fighting on the undercard, but it's still going to be a fight worth seeing. So, we'll see how Henry Kajudo fares at Bantamweight when he debuts on the UFC on Fox 13 event. Now, some controversy, a bit of a black eye for the UFC, courtesy of Kung Lee. Now, many of you guys know that Kung Lee was suspended for elevated testosterone levels. He was suspended for one year now, the last time, the last show we, we discussed this, there were questions about not only the elevated testosterone levels, but also the facility, the validity of the testing. There, there were a ton of questions. There was a huge cloud over uh, Kung Lee's suspension. Well, as it turns out, the UFC announced that they are rescinding uh, Kung Lee's suspension due to obviously testing positive for elevated testosterone at UFC Fight Night 48. Now, according to MMA Junkie, they say that the um, the company backed off uh, UFC backed off its stance after several media outlets began questioning the procedures utilized on Kung Lee. Um, The company used blood samples which were shipped to a lab in Hong Kong. However, the lab is not accredited by the World Anti-Doping Agency. And of course, those results were challenged by Kung Lee. So because of that. Kung Lee's suspension has been rescinded. The UFC issued the following statement. At Fight Night Macau on August 23rd, UFC contracted uh, contracted with an independent drug testing lab in Hong Kong to perform analysis um, both blood and urine on all fighters on the card. Additionally, the UFC requested the lab to test blood samples from four fighters for human growth hormone and also uh, EPO and testosterone. One of the athletes that was tested was Kung Lee. The lab results from Lee's tests were sent to the UFC and showed that his blood had total HGH levels outside of the reference range. Based on these results, the UFC decided to suspend Kung Lee for 12 months. Now, after appealing the decision, the UFC has decided that the results have been inconclusive. They feel that they are in their right to rescind the suspension and with and without the necessi- uh, excuse me without the necessity for further proceedings uh, obviously they're going to say blah 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 we're going to adhere to the highest level of athlete safety etc 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 so what is the what comes out of this uh, out of this entire chain of events number 1 world anti doping agency has the final say the ufc need to uh, form a relationship with a recognized testing facility especially in international markets because right now you suspended a guy that may or may not again may or may not have had truly high testosterone levels now sure people can forget about this and and they can you know they can move past it but Kung lee's been acknowledged as being a cheater that's the problem see and and the reason i say this is because by you saying the guy cheated, even if the guy is cleared, there's always going to be a doubt. Even if he's 100% cleared, and this goes for anything, this goes for cheating, crimes, whatever the case may be, you can be completely cleared, but there may still be the specter of doubt. And like I said, we've had Kung Lee on air, he's, he's, a, he's an amazing guy, he's a cool dude, um, loves the sport of mixed martial arts, and sure, if you look at the photos of, of how he looked, in preparation for that fight they were definitely questionable they were i'm not i'm not going to downplay that they did look a bit questionable but if 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 he was tested if he was testing positive the fact that the ufc shot themselves in the foot and couldn't prove it doesn't do them any favors obviously now if kung lee continues his fighting career he will be cautious to ensure that his hgh levels are at the right level but again the the specter is there whether whether he's clear or not people are going to look at him a little differently i mean like i said that photo when i shared it on air and i showed it to everybody in the chat room and people that were watching the show a lot of people were saying they're like yeah he definitely looks a little ripped for a guy that's you know in his 40s or, or a little over 40 and it raised a lot of red flags but like i said the ufc shot themselves in the foot. Now, Brian says HGH Kung Lee versus TRT Vitor. You know what's funny? I'd actually want to see that fight because that would probably be an awesome fight. But the the the, the Vitor situation is extremely... I, I, I look at the Vitor situation as just an extremely, extremely volatile situation chemical mixture that's going to blow up in everybody's face and the reason i say this is because say he comes in and his pre-fight testing is clean and he fights weidman and he wins and then his post-fight testing is dirty then you know the fight is going to be tainted weidman's record is going to have you know it's going to have a blemish even if they erase the fight if he loses people are going to remember hey uh, weidman got knocked out or whatever People, like I said, people are always very selective about the good and the bad. And the reason I say this is because you look at a guy like Vanderlei. Vanderlei ran from a drug test. Was it the right thing? Was it the wrong thing? It definitely did not paint a favorable picture. But for me as a fan, I'm always going to look at his body of work prior to him running from the drug test. And with that said, I'm always going to be a fan. Same thing with Rampage. I've always enjoyed uh, Rampage Jackson's performance, his presentation, just him as an individual because he's a fucking lunatic, and I and I love that. But over the years, his his current fight career is just it doesn't have the same level of excitement. It doesn't make me dislike the guy any less. It just doesn't paint the guy in a favorable picture. Same thing with these guys: TRT Vitor, uh, Kung Lee, whether he's on HGH or not. You're you're always gonna look at these guys a little a little differently than before people found out that they were testing uh you know positive for whatever the case may be of course slick continues to remind me to use the term allegedly <laughs> which is definitely the name of the game now switching gears we got to talk about the injury bug that is plaguing the UFC and on one of the biggest stages the UFC card which is um the one that is going to be in Mexico with Fabricio Verdum and Kane Velasquez has been scrapped. The card itself has not been scrapped, but the fight between Verdum and Kane Velasquez has been scrapped due to an injury sustained by Kane Velasquez. He injured his knee. Due to that, uh, Mark Hunt will be, uh, will be stepping in against Verdum for the interim uh, heavyweight title. Now, the thing that's crazy about this is that that fight is going to be rock'em, sock'em, robots. It is going to be tremendous. I think this is a great opportunity for Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt is, is just an exciting guy. He's so laid back, and it's always a treat to watch him fight because it's, it's you know, two shots. I hit you, you hit the ground whenever he fights, and, and I love it. I, you know, I love how humble he is, and I like the fact that nobody gave this guy a, a, a shot As soon as he came to the UFC, you're like, "Ugh, this guy's not going to make it. And he just proceeded to beat the shit out of every guy he got in the cage with. And, you know, that's something that you can't, you can't, excuse me, you cannot acknowledge that. You can't. And for Verdum, obviously, it's a tough break because he was preparing to possibly uh, nullify Cain Velasquez's wrestling and also be prepared to stand and trade if need be. Now he's going to have to change his strategy completely because Mark Hunt is a completely different ball game, Completely different. And he's so dangerous, his hands are so dangerous, that if Verdun gets tagged, it's going to be lights out. Now, it's funny because Mortis asks, think Mark Hunt can lose 40 pounds in three weeks? And Brian says, possibly Mortis, possibly. When a title opportunity is on the line, I guarantee you Mark Hunt will fucking starve himself. This is probably one of those opportunities that, you know, you may never get again. And if it's a chance to, to you know, to go in the record books, a chance at glory, you're going to make it happen. And Honestly, as much as I would have liked to have seen Verdum and Cain Velasquez square off, I think Verdum and Mark Hunt is just an amazing fight. Now, let's say Mark Hunt gets past Fabricio Verdum and is crowned your UFC interim heavyweight champion. You know for a fact that him and Cain Velasquez is going to be a fucking war. You want mainstream exposure. You want a big fight atmosphere. Mark Hunt and Cain Velasquez can definitely get the fucking job done. (laughs) Brian writes, starve, win belt, hit buffet table after weigh-ins. I agree 110%. You know what the best part is? I love when Mark Hunt wins. He's like, so were you ready to go out there and beat that guy's ass? Yeah. How does it feel to be UFC champion? Great. Anything else you want to add? Nah. It's all good. (laughs) Brian, can I blow your mind right now? Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt. Oh, my God. Brock Lesnar, who doesn't like to get hit, he would probably have his face detonated by Mark Hunt. The fact that Brock Lesnar still walks around with that scar under his eye from that zipper that Cain Velasquez gave him is just a testament to the fact that that Brock Lesnar doesn't like to get fucking hit. To be hit by a a napalm fist from Mark Hunt, it would probably crumble Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar needs to train and prac and and get accustomed to being hit in the face with with serious fucking hands. I'm sorry to say it. The guy the guy he just he just didn't like it. I mean even when Shane Carwin and him fought, and, can, and Shane Carwin tagged him a few times. You could see Brock Lesnar not a fucking fan. Now, of course, the easy argument is, yeah, well, if you get hit, you, nobody likes to get hit. Of course not. Nobody likes to get hit. But there is a strategy and there is a way to think and adjust when you get hit. I mean, if you get hit and you get your bell rung, that's one thing. But on the flip side, you're going to also look at it from the standpoint that you have to be used to, to, to just uh you know hand to hand contact i mean when when I was a kid and and we would go into class uh you know they they'd pair you up and you would probably check you would check a kick you know you'd check a kick to your side, and over time it just built tolerance that you could take a kick to the side obviously you're still not being hit at full strength, but at least you're not wincing when you get hit you're're you're, there's a slight wince maybe, but maybe not i mean um Mortis adds: Since Lesnar's brought up, do you think there is any truth to the rumors that Lesnar may go back to the UFC after he loses to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? I I kind of touched on this before you came into the chat, Mortis. Um, depending on the payday and maybe the fact that Brock Lesnar feels he may have something to prove, I wouldn't be I would not be shocked. But I also have to acknowledge the fact that WWE has a deep checkbook and Brock Lesnar has a very comfortable schedule. Very, very comfortable schedule. Now, I will say this. Brock Lesnar, and I've said this before, if you want to give that guy career longevity in professional wrestling, give him a streak similar to The Undertaker, and you can keep him around forever. But a healthy Brock Lesnar, maybe if he had a good training camp, and he trained with a a good team, a good Brock Lesnar can definitely be UFC heavyweight champion. You can bank on that, but again, it's not you training with a bunch of guys that don't want to hit you in the face. It's going and, and training with you know guys like um, like Winkle John or going to train um, you know with um, you know TriStar Gym or any or top American Top Team legitimate facilities, Black Zillions, whatever the whatever training camp you want to go to. That's what you got to deal with. You don't you know. You, you have to go to a real training camp you can't do the bj penn school of training you can't do that you can't go to you can't go to the bj penn school of training where you got a whole bunch of yes men that aren't helping you get ready in brock lesnar's case he needs a full camp that's completely disciplined completely completely disciplined maybe he's got to go down there to greg jackson You know, you send him to to Greg Jackson and Winkle John, and you have him train with guys like Travis Brown and Alistair Overeem and guys like that that, you know, can really test him and make him a better fighter. Having him train in his own house with his own octagon and Paul Heyman and all that bullshit, recipe for disaster. Simple as that. Uh, Brian adds, my client Brock Lesnar won the UFC title, conquered the streak, decimated John Cena, But damn, Hunt fucked him up. (laughs) Brian then adds, I'd send Lesnar to Thailand. Oh yeah, well, if you send him to Thailand, he's going to be fucking Tong Po over there. He's going to be just beating the shit out of everybody because he's just the largest human being ever. But um, again, a lot of armchair booking. We'll see what happens once WrestleMania comes and goes. And we'll see if he heads back to the Octagon. But Mark Hunt, Fabricio Verdoom." definitely a fight worth seeing a couple of uh, small bits of news I got to throw in there Uh, Chael Sonnen and and Jim Ross are going to be announcing once again for Battlegrounds MMA when they have their event in the first quarter of 2015 Um, definitely a a great pairing I heard I heard their commentary from the first Battlegrounds event Um, well let let me let me rephrase I heard Jim Ross's his opinions on working with Chael and the fact that he feels that they have great chemistry. And I will say, I think, I think Chael has a great mind for the sport. I think Jim Ross, considering his, his enthusiasm for the sport of mixed martial arts, definitely has something to add to the sport. And I think the pairing is fantastic. I mean, if not between you and I, and, and this is just, um, I'm paraphrasing putting, putting Chael in in JBL seat on Monday night raw would probably yield some of the best commentary you can ever hear. If you do an announced team of Joey Styles, Jim Ross and Chael Sonnen, it would be amazing. Cuz cuz you know, I can I can go into a into a whole rant about wrestling commentary and we'll discuss that in the wrestling segment, but I feel that Chael he just has such a great personality for that. His work on UFC tonight um was tremendous i think the guy he just has great presence in the booth and he he brings a, a real great enthusiasm to the table and especially his amateur wrestling background would definitely be an asset if he decided to trade uh, um you know cage side commentary for wrestling commentary uh mortis adds i'm not a chael fan but i totally favor chael over jbl for raw commentary it's true man that that commentary as of late is just is just shit <laughs> Brian adds: Joey Styles, Jim Ross, and Chael in commentary alone would be worth buying the network for nine ninety nine. 99 absolutely. And and to to acknowledge what Mortis said, I do think that Renee Young has a future. Uh, is the future voice of Raw. I I I see it happening. She will be the first woman in the booth uh, on Monday Night Raw within the next five years. Uh, tremendous presence. Probably, her Arda Ocal. And um, Michael Cole would probably make a solid booth. Definitely. I think they would make a tremendous, tremendous booth if that were the case. Anyway, just to wrap things up, Paulo Tiago is officially cut from the UFC. He lost seven of his last nine fights. He lost three in a row, so he is officially out of here. Um, Another injury has struck the um, UFC 180 card, and that is Joe Lazan withdrawing from his fight, with Diego Sanchez. Um, MMA Junkies reporting that he was forced to, with, uh, forced to withdraw, but they ha- the UFC has not officially announced the news yet. This is um, Diego Sanchez's second opponent. His first was Norm Park, who pulled out due to injury, and obviously now Joe Lazan. There's still time to possibly find him a replacement, but there's you know the window is closing because the fight is three weeks away. Uh, UFC 180 goes down November 15th, in mexico city so there you have it folks um a pretty light week with regards to mma news i was going to try and report on the ultimate fighter but unfortunately show prep did get in the way this week but i have been watching it it is an amazing season a lot of great fighters i'm definitely looking forward to seeing felice Herrig and heather joe clark square off considering the animosity between both ladies i think it's going to be an exciting fight Overall, this season as a whole has been tremendous. The problem is that my DVR just it can't tape everything all at once between American Horror Story, The Ultimate Fighter, TNA Impact, Arrow. I'm, it's just it's just insanity. But um, I got to try and fit it in where I can. But I'll watch it after the show, and maybe we can touch on it uh, during our next live broadcast. All right, let's get into the week's wrestling news. Let's get that ball rolling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Oh, Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga. We're going off tonight hey. to kick out every night. Hey. To get it in, we want to hey. take everything inside. Hey. We're going till the world stops turning while we burn it to the ground. Inside. All right, so this was the go-home show right before... Uh, Hell in the Cell, which goes down this Sunday. Um, A couple of things about this broadcast as a whole. I did feel that there was a lot of things lacking, but it was redeemed by a couple of standout performances. Obviously, first one we got to talk about is Damian Mizdow and also the one and only Dean Ambrose. Plus, we got a surprise appearance by hardcore legend Mick Foley. Now, I want to talk about one thing that has become almost almost a habit with monday night raw since the authority has taken control and that is triple h pretty much opening the show almost every week and um the thing about this that bothers me is just the fact that the authority and and their entire involvement with the with the with the stories on raw programming is just really not that great. And the reason I say this is because when you look at the dynamic between um, the faces versus the, the evil uh, corporate, the corporate entity, whether it's, you know, general managers, Stephanie McMahon, triple H, etc., etc., It always feels like they're trying to replicate the magic of Austin versus McMahon. And I see it and I see it every week. I mean, Sure, Triple H, he's a different type of heel, a little more smarmy, a little bit more of a douchebag, but it's still, there. there's only one relevant authority figure feud that will live on in everybody's mind, and that will always be Austin versus McMahon because Vince McMahon, not only was he a great player coach, but he was definitely just a, a more... I don't know. He just had more presence. Now, Brian says Austin versus McMahon equals Ambrose versus triple H. I would love that to be the case, but the problem with triple H is that his opinion is extremely, when he tries to interact with Dean Ambrose, it always comes off as condescending. Like he's always clowning the gimmick. And that's my issue with triple H as an authority figure. When, when, when you're trying to be, when you're trying to create new stars, you're, you're, you shouldn't be dismissive of their gimmick at large. I understand, you know, Dean Ambrose's crazy gimmick. Um, it, it has its high points and its low points, but it's a basis for who he is. I mean, you look at you look at guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Brian Pillman, uh, The Ultimate Warrior, Scott Steiner. These are guys that are legendary talkers, maniacs, insane lunatics, each in their own special way. They brought something to the table that made them a force. And the problem is that Triple H always tries to be bigger than the talent. Even as an authority figure, he always tries to be the guy that that just, he's, he's bigger than the talent. And it's like, dude, you are a suit. You are no longer a performer. And as such, you need to approach things differently. That's That's really it. I mean, am I wrong? Do you guys feel that Triple H really tries to put himself over every chance he gets at the expense of of, of the talent on Monday Night Raw? I, I, I want to know. I want to know if you guys agree or disagree and, and why not, because that's how I see it. When he goes out there and he clowns John Cena or he clowns Dean Ambrose or he gets involved in some other shit, it, it always comes off like he's trying to be bigger than, than the guys that are working in the ring and that is part of the fucking problem it's like dude the attitude era has come and gone you are not relevant and and as much as i like you know i like triple h as a performer triple h as a performer was was good and he always has those great moments in wrestling history but it's always triple h and somebody else i cannot stand here and say that there's been a single Triple H solo moment that has pretty much revolutionized wrestling. It's always Triple H and Shawn Michaels, Triple H and The Undertaker, DX, you know, uh, Evolution. It's never Triple H by himself. You can never say Triple H by himself did something that changed the business. It didn't. The only thing that that Triple H added to the business was using a sledgehammer as a weapon. That's it. I'm serious, but, uh, you know, we we got a a lot of wrestling fans in the chat, a lot of wrestling historians. Ask yourselves, what has Triple H done by himself as a performer that has made him, you know, stand side by side with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, John Cena, what has he done? Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Goldberg. What has he done? Cuz I honestly as much as I as I as I feel he's contributed to the business, he hasn't contributed to the business in a way that will make him live on other than he's married to Stephanie McMahon and he was part of DX. And again, it's part of a group. Mortis adds He did have an epic comeback after tearing his quad in 2000 with tiny legs and a huge torso. (laughs) Uh, Brian, touche, sir, touche. He puts, what has Triple H done by himself to stand along the greats? He married the boss's daughter, drops Mike. That's because Macho Man died. I think if the rumors are true that Macho Man plowed Stephanie McMahon, I think Macho Man would be married to Stephanie McMahon right now. oh shit but uh well said i gotta i gotta give I gotta give kudos to Brian for that. It's true I mean he married the boss's daughter, but think about it this was a guy that did actively have sexual relations with China when China did look like a dude just just putting that out there. China before she got hot wasn't with triple h so <laughs> just just to put that in perspective that's all I'm saying It's just putting that out there anyway. Let's get into the uh, the first match of the night. It was Sheamus and the Usos for the 85,000th time taking on the Miz, Goldust, and Stardust. Now, as always, Goldust, the Dust brothers, continue to impress, but the real star continues to be Damian Mizdow. And, and here's the funny thing. Damian Sandow got this gimmick, and he has run off with it to the point where he is outshining the guy who he's supposed to be the stunt double for. I mean, I, this is this is obviously the setup for a, for a feud down the road. But the thing that I really like is that Damian Sandow is really just investing every ounce of energy into this gimmick because he has no he has nothing else going on. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's crazy, and I, and I got to give Damian Sandow all the credit in the world for making it work. I also got to give credit to Stardust man because. The way he does it, channeling that 1966 Riddler from Batman, it's just it's just tremendous. The mannerisms, it's like a totally different wrestler out there. So definitely full full props to um, Cody Rhodes and to Damian Mizdow for just killing it. Meanwhile, Sheamus, I'm tired of Sheamus. I really am. It's like he's boring as a face. As a heel, it's it, he he's good as a heel, but there's so many heels right now. That a Sheamus heel turn would do absolutely nothing, but as a face, he is boring as fuck. I'd rather he just lose the belt to the Miz and the Miz feud with Damian Sandow for the belt, cause I'm sorry, is just he's got nothing going on. He doesn't. He really doesn't. Anyway, so I kind of I kind of want to get into the uh, the Wyatt family promos because there's a couple of things that have been going on. Obviously. Uh, Bray Wyatt freeing uh, Harper and and Rowan um, is going to lead to to some very interesting singles runs for both guys. But there is a rumor floating around that we may see the Ascension be aligned with Bray Wyatt. Now, I don't know how, how well that'll work, but considering that the Ascension's mic skills are, eh, to say the least... I think it would definitely make for some interesting television, but I will say that Luke Harper is definitely the standout talent amongst the Wyatt family, you know, uh, separate from Bray Wyatt. I mean, Eric Rowan is good, but I feel that, that Luke Harper is, is really a a better performer. I mean, he's done a lot of great work on the independence and, um, you know, I think, I think he could definitely stand on his own as for, the Ascension, Brian says, they have mic skills, question mark. You know what the thing is with The Ascension? Every time I watch them cut a promo, it's always like I feel they're reading a teleprompter. Because it's like, yeah, we're going to go out there and we're going to kick Hideo with Tommy's ass. Yeah. Like, there's no... You know what it feels like? If you guys played WrestleFest in the arcade, you guys remember that you at the end of the game, you would fight the Legion of Doom. And they would, when you, when you would fight... When you would fight your first match, the Legion of Doom would be like dine on danger. It, no, it would be a, a snack on danger and dine on death. They would be like snack on danger, dine on death, and and you know it was really cool back then. But the reason I say that is because when you see that in a game, it's it's one dimensional and it's just conveying a message. Meanwhile, the Ascension are the same way. Like they don't they don't exude anything. It's like yeah, we're hardcore dudes, and we're going to fuck you up. And they just, they're just they just blank. Like, it's a blank fucking slate with those guys. It's almost like, and I don't even want to say Kane because Kane, you know, Paul Bearer, the late Paul Bearer, did a lot of the talking for Kane. And then over the years, Kane's mic work got better and better and better. And even now, I think, I, and I've said this before, Kane would be a great manager for the Ascension. Putting the essential with Bray Wyatt, while I understand that they want to possibly entertain that, I feel that Bray Wyatt is so, he's on another level. And Bray Wyatt is so much more than a mouthpiece. He's, He's so much more. I really feel that Bray Wyatt probably, if they really believed in him, would make a good champion at this point. And the reason I say that is because he should just walk out, steal the belt, and proclaim himself champion. Even even if he's not the champion, he should just walk out, steal the belt, and be like, um, possession is nine-tenths of the law, I am your new champion. And just, you know, just do something. It's like they started off with this amazing momentum for the Wyatt family. and just They were on fire. And then now it's like, eh, we're just going to use video packages and hope for the best. And it's really unfortunate. It really is. The only thing I can hope for is that, post uh post survivor series post royal rumble they realized that Bray Wyatt has a lot more potential and they utilize him more effectively i don't know if it was a shift in creative i don't know if it was a shift in um just in the overall presentation or or just just the writing as a whole but they dropped the ball the wyatt family were were some of the most intriguing and engaging characters and they just said eh fuck it We're just going to put, we're going to put Bo Dallas on TV more, and we're going to put Jack Swagger on TV more. Oh, and Adam Rose and the Bunny? Yeah, we're going to put that fucker on TV too. It's insane. It really is. But what can you do? We'll see what happens. So, um, (laughs) Brian writes, we may just be kept waiting for something awesome to happen with the Wyatts very soon. I guess I guess uh, story mode in WWE 2K15 is gonna be the only way to see them get over. <laughs> All right, so AJ squared off against Alicia Fox for the eighty-fifth thousandth time, and yeah, <laughs> and, and the reason I say this is because I understand it's the match that everybody wants to go with, and it's the match that everybody wants to everybody wants to see because Total Divas is pretty much. You know the end all be all, but I do feel that they are completely misusing their entire divas division for the at the expense of the total divas show. And while I understand that it's great for E and et cetera, et cetera, you have legitimately taken your entire women's division and built their entire persona on a reality TV show, obviously excluding AJ from the equation, and we'll talk about that later on, but. It's just, it's just not doing the division any favors. It is truly a shame that pretty much TNA Impact, Shimmer, and any other organization, Valkyrie, which is a local uh, organization here in New York, have better women's wrestling than WWE has had in the last three years. And it's crazy because it's, it, you know we can say, oh, well, you know, they got Charlotte, they got Bayley, they got Sasha Banks, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they do. But they're on NXT. Some of them may not make it up to Raw just yet. And if they do, what are you going to do? Stick them on Total Divas too? Like, think about it. Are you going to take Charlotte because she's the daughter of Ric Flair and throw her on Total Divas and sacrifice a good women's performer? Are you really going to do that just because, you know, there's name value there? It's insane i i I don't disagree brian adds n x t greater than the main roster. I agree a hundred and ten percent n x t could probably get two hours of t v and put on a better show and and I've talked about this before n x t is written by one guy with an assistant raw is written by like three guys and vince McMahon. What does that tell you? just saying anyway so we um and and this is the this is the funny thing with this um Randy Orton and John Cena have themselves a very decent, decent promo, but, um, Paul Heyman interrupts and Paul, Paul Heyman brings that promo full circle. Now, the funny thing is John Cena and Randy Orton have squared off for, for, for 10,000 different times. You know, they've squared off, uh, in the early goings with evolution, without evolution, um, You know, rapping John Cena, non-rapping John Cena. There's so many matches between the two of them, and the fact that they're acknowledging it so freely just shows that WWE realizes that this is about as secure of a match as they can give us, the fans. And my issue with this is the fact that, and I've said this before, you have three hours of live television, two hours on SmackDown, you have an hour of main event, an hour of NXT, How can you not have anybody in that amount of time that can be a credible main eventer? I I I say it every time. Look, I understand Randy Orton, John Cena. They are the the end all be all. They are your your premier faces of your company, and I understand that. But to to shovel this match down, to shove this match down everyone's throat, and then on top of that, dangle the carrot of making it a number one contenders match to face Brock Lesnar. We know that it is pretty much a foregone conclusion that John Cena is going to win this match and face Brock Lesnar. I mean, they could give us a curveball and Randy Orton could win, but after the issue with Seth Rollins at the end of Raw, which I'll get into, I kind of don't see that happening. Now again, Paul Heyman being the savior that he is, pretty much brought everything full circle, and I really liked the way it was done, and of course, he ate an RKO for his troubles, as did John Cena. Now, my issues with this are the fact that, obviously, we haven't seen Brock Lesnar. He's chilling at home, uh, you know, eating deer meat and mashed potatoes and looking at at the WWE title on top of his fireplace, and that's great, but I do feel there is definitely a void there when you don't have something else, and the reason I say this is because having Paul Heyman on Raw every week is a better is better than having no Brock Lesnar and no Paul Heyman. That's my issue. Right now, it's John Cena, Randy Orton, Ambrose and Rollins carrying the entire product, and everybody else is just playing um, you know, co-stars at this point. And the only reason that Ambrose is even in the spot he's in is because Roman Reigns is injured. Let's let's be realistic. Because nobody was sold on Ambrose until Roman Reigns got injured. I hate to say it, but it's fucking true. Anyway. Rusev squared off against Big E Langston. And first of all, Big E sighting, which is great. Second of all, we know how this match was going to end. Third... Using the armed forces to get a gimmick over, just just it didn't work for me. And the reason I say this is because WWE has prided itself on having an amazing relationship with the men and women of our armed forces. The same thing with their partnerships with Coleman for the Cure. And as much as I love all the great charity work that they do, it frustrates me um, when you parade Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda out there for the at the expense of Coleman for the Cure and trying to raise awareness with two drunk old harpies who have absolutely nothing to offer the product same thing in this instance you're taking a member of our armed forces that allegedly hops the barricade to get kicked in the face by rusev what to make the big show angrier than he is i think if i were the big show i'd be pissed off that rusev gets to see lana naked and i get and, then he, and you get your ass whooped every week i'd be more upset about that like that's what bothers me i feel that Using um, a member of the armed forces to get over this feud is just, it just doesn't do anybody any favors. Rusev already is, is a bona fide heel. He has incredible heel heat. And the big show's doing a decent job carrying this feud. That entire turn of events was not necessary. I really felt that it just didn't do anybody any favors. Really didn't. But I'm not the one that writes the shit. I'm just the one that talks about it. Anyway, we got another awesome Dean Ambrose moment. He was watching Kane's See No Evil, which I actually started watching. And um, hopefully I'll have a review for it this weekend. Definitely not terrible. The first uh, See No Evil wasn't bad. The second, definitely not terrible. But in any case, Ambrose is watching the movie. And um, a nice exchange between John Cena and Dean Ambrose. Uh, the The thing that made that entire exchange work was the fact that you know the, there was a little inside baseball with John Cena being called Superman and um Ambrose acknowledging that he 's Batman and um John Cena then turning the turning turning the uh, turning it into a different reference and acknowledging Dean Ambrose as the joker we 've always joked about Dean Ambrose having a lot of joker tendencies a lot of Heath Ledger joker tendencies. Alongside which I've said before, Brian Pillman, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, but I feel that there was there was a, a really really great exchange, a lot of great mic work there. Uh, John Cena, when he's natural and his delivery's on point, and he's not delivering the fucking Honey Nut Cheerios promo, he is a he is a good talker, and I think him and Ambrose have great chemistry. If you decided to do a real full fledged feud with these two guys, I think it would give us some really really good television. I I gotta say that. I also liked that Dean Ambrose, when he was told that he was the Joker, he made a really, really douchey face, and then he says, why so serious? Like, it was it was such a perfect promo that it really put everybody on notice because the minute that he said that, Twitter fucking lit up like a Christmas tree. And everybody's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, let, yeah let, I, you know what the problem is? I could probably play this promo, but I don't know... Uh, how YouTube will respond, and not only that, I gotta see if um, WWE has it. So uh, let's let's take a look. Let's see. I think I, I think I have it. I think. <laughs> don't don't quote me on it. But um, like I said, just I I really felt that the the chemistry was there. It really worked out, and I'm I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to ambrose and rollins match um this wasn't the only ambrose moment we do have a moment with um with mick foley as well but um let's see oh no of course wwe doesn't put that on their youtube channel they put everything else but they don't put that any in any event wait oh am i right yeah they definitely did not share that. And and why should they? Because that's the segment that actually got people talking. But I really liked that. I felt, again, it was a great segment. And this is one of two great Ambrose moments. Um, but before we get into that, we got to talk about Brie Bella, Summer Rae. This is pretty much, uh, yeah, not, not, not the match that anybody gives a shit about. And the reason is because Brie Bella all of a sudden developed into a very serviceable wrestler and then she i don't know i don't know if it's because she's feuding with nikki and nikki's wrestling is shit but to have a match with summer Rae and have it be so dreadful is just it, it's it's just unfortunate again that's not to say brie bell is a great wrestler by any stretch of the imagination she's a good wrestler but Summer Rae, everybody talked about how good Summer Rae was in NXT and how well she would fit in on the on the main roster and she's going to have good matches, and I'm not seeing it. I'm definitely not seeing it. Instead, we're getting um, a, a passable match with a couple of botches, and it's all for angle advancement purposes. And it's, it's truly a shame that Brie Bella has to rely on Daniel Bryan's yes chant to get any sort of a reaction because her wrestling is fucking piss poor and i don't know where it went wrong because she was she was learning and she was getting better every week and then all of a sudden it just fucking took a nosedive but what can i say so we get another moment with uh dean ambrose coming out being a complete fucking psychopath and um (laughs) he he abuses seth rollins in a in a moment that truly truly has to be seen to be believed. Check this out. Let me see if I could uh, pull this up. So I'm going to do you a favor this Sunday at Hell in a Cell because I don't want you to think that I don't care about you anymore, okay? The first body part of yours that I rip off inside that cell so you never have to get your hands dirty again will be your hands. See what you made me do. <laughs> like you think I like it? Oh. Huh? Huh? Feel good about yourself? Sold out to the authority? Huh? Huh? You finally found an opponent that you can relate to on an intellectual level. <laughs> I mean, look. We all know you're never, ever going to be able to beat me. But hey, on the bright side, at least you can parlay this into a, uh, a comedy career. You could open up for uh, Carrot Top, right? Or, uh, or Gallagher, or Louis C.K., or, or anybody like that. Nice Louis I mean, C.K. reference. Next? you going to bring out the watermelons? What do you got? You got balloon animals in there? What's the deal, huh? Let's all give a big hand. <laughs> to the world's biggest sellout. Whoa! Oh, it to I sold sold out. So what? I sold the shield out. I sold Dean Ambrose out. So so, as I was saying, um, what? Pause that. I I kind I felt that you know the entire exchange was very well done. I also liked mick foley's involvement i felt that mick foley really brought everything full circle and they really had to utilize mick foley to get everybody interested in hell in the cell because all the booking that was done for this card was done within the last week or so like all the matches came together and they were even even last monday when they fought with the contract on a poll match that match was supposed to take place on the pay-per-view and then they were going to have the match afterwards. And, of course, the booking got changed. Everything got changed. And, you know, here we are. And my issue with that is the fact that, you know, while it is while it is cool and I think it it adds to the overall, you know, to the overall product, I felt that they had to bring Mick Foley out there to remind everybody that it was hell in the cell. And it's crazy to me. For me, I think that there's. There's so much that can be done with guys like Ambrose and Rollins and and this current crop of talent that you shouldn't have to rely on the cheap pop from Mick Foley. Don't get me wrong. It was great seeing Mick Foley out there. Mick Foley's a, a tremendous asset to this business. He's done a lot. He's given his body to this business. But the fact that you need Mick Foley to remind you about the structure and what Hell in the Cell is all about It's just ridiculous. Besides the fact that I've said this numerous times. Much like TNA does with their themed pay-per-views. Every match on the pay-per-view should take place inside the cell. All of them. Tag team matches. IC belt. US title. Divas match. Rusev and the big show. All of it should take place in the cell. If it's a theme pay-per-view. That's what you should do. I mean, one of the things I used to like when I was a kid, you'd watch Survivor Series. It would be all the different Survivor Series teams. You know, Hulk Hogan and his team, the Million Dollar Man and his team, or Bobby the Brain Heenan and his team, and Macho Man and his team, or whatever the case may be. Traditional Survivor Series matches, when it was the entire card, were always awesome to watch because you got to see everybody on TV. You got to see everybody be involved and just have really good matches and it actually created a lot of great storylines right out of that whoever was the last survivor would end up feuding with xyz guy or maybe one of the guys that lost would feud with the guy that was the last survivor and this is what bothers me like you're doing an entire you're doing a pay-per-view called Hell in the Cell all the matches should just take place in the cell even if even if you don't have Nikki Bella raking Brie Bella's face against the cell, it's still part of the pay-per-view. It adds a different dynamic. It makes people look at each match a little differently because it makes you think, oh, are the are the divas gonna use the cell? Is pay are Paige and AJ Lee gonna use the cell? How's the big show gonna use the cell? Or how's Rusev gonna be involved? Or is the big show gonna rip the door off the cell? Etc. 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 And that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. You know, you look at this and You have this pay-per-view. That's what it's called. Same thing with TLC. Every match should be a TLC match. Um, You know, if you're doing an extreme rules, every match should be extreme rules. Not just one or two, but all of them should be extreme rules. Tag matches, Divas matches, you name it. It should all be under that because that's the name of the pay-per-view. Mortis adds AJ versus Paige. Hell in the Cell would actually be fun to watch. Why wouldn't it be? I think I think it would be good and I think it would allow the it would allow the divas to test themselves. Again, they're the strongest they're the strongest women in professional wrestling. Why not? If the knockouts on Impact can have a ladder match or a hardcore match, then I think that the divas should be no different. But this also goes into what I've said before about their their lack of belief in their talent. You mean to tell me that Cesaro and Dolph Ziggler wouldn't have a good match inside the cell. Or maybe Damian Sandow, uh, you know, outside of the cell while the Miz squares off against Sheamus, and then, you know, Sandow uses the bolt cutters to get in and he calls Sheamus the match and the Miz wins the belt, etc., etc. There's so many great things you can do and you have the structure in place. What are you going to do? Raise and lower the structure instead of just having it out there for the entire duration? It's stupid. It really, really is stupid. Speaking of which, Dolph Ziggler squared off against Antonio Cesaro, and he loses clean, which bothers me. Obviously, it's going to set up a match between the two of them at the pay-per-view, but what bothers me is that your guys with the secondary titles, they lose cleanly, like, every week, practically. Dolph Ziggler's going out there, he's having a decent match, and he's just losing clean. It's like, in the old days, and I've said this before, your IC champion was pretty much your number one contender for the world title. They don't even—they don't even treat it as such, and it, and it's crazy to me. Like, in, oh yeah, we're gonna have a number one contender, but your number one contender's the guy with the secondary belt. That's how it should be. I mean, and I've said this before. Imagine if you had a TV title that gets defended on every program, and you defend it on NXT. And an NXT guy wins the belt. And you'd use that to bring the guy up to the main roster. It would, it would be an interesting way of doing things. And I've said this before. Same thing with your, with your IC belt. You know, you have your, you know... <laughs> Brian adds, now your IC champion is the number one contender to the internet championship. It's true. It's like, your secondary titles do not have any worth whatsoever. It's the same things I've always said. Pay-per-views are all the titles should be defended on every pay-per-view. Your IC title or your US title should be considered number one and number two contenders. Whether it's one, you know, you alternate guys every month if you want to keep the two titles, or you unify them. Your IC champion should be your number one contender. Fact, taking a page out of Tyson's kid, out of Tyson Kid's book. A TV title should be established. That way you can allow second and third tier performers to compete on every program and it would be a belt that can change hands on any show. Simple. Your tag team titles, obviously, they're fine. Your women's title, it's fine. But your US title and your IC belt should be merged at this point because they're fucking worthless individually. And like I said, utilize a tv title to get over performers that aren't quite ready to be in the secondary slot with the ic belt and are maybe not ready to test the main event waters yet it's really not that difficult that's the easiest set of booking that you can do plain and simple but again that would just make common sense Mortis adds, uh, speaking of Tyson Kidd, he's supposed to be a heel, but then he talks about how he has to check on his cats. Checking on his cats would make him a face. I'm getting mixed signals. You know what bothers me? The Tyson Kidd thing, it's funny that you mentioned that. You know what bothers me? That you take Titus O'Neil, you job him out on Raw, you job him out on SmackDown, but yet he's going down to NXT to challenge Adrian Neville for his belt. Like, all of a sudden, he goes through this magic portal and he becomes a badass. Or how about this? Tyson Kidd is a badass on television, and then you bring him on Raw, and he's just a bitch. You know, it's it's craziness. I'd love to see Tyler Breeze take on The Miz. I think that would be a great match. I think Tyler Breeze would do well on the main roster because he's got such a unique gimmick that, you know, it's a little bit of Rick the Model Martell sprinkled in with some, you know, more modern stuff. I think it works. I think it would be an awesome match to see. But that's pretty much where I stand with regards to that. You have these you have these titles, they're being misused. You have all this different talent, you can spread it out a little better. You just have to try and really realize that the writing is on the wall. If you unified the World Heavyweight title and the WWE title, but you're keeping the IC and the US title around for what? It's a waste. It is a waste. Unify the titles. Bring back the TV title and leave it at that. Mortis adds, I hate to say it, but I don't think they'll ever give Breeze a legitimate shot in the main roster. You know what's funny? When people talk about the future of this business, it's easy to talk about Prince Devitt, Kenta, Kevin Steen, Sami Zayn. You know, but you're not looking at guys like Tyler Breeze who... Is, is an incredibly talented performer. He's got a good gimmick. The crowd is into him. It's just, and this is something I've talked about before. It's the same thing that happened to Adam Rose. Just because the shit is over in NXT doesn't always guarantee that it'll be over on, you know, on the main show. Like when Adam Rose was doing the whole Rosebud shit in NXT, it was a smaller venue. It was more intimate. Everybody was into it. When he comes out on Raw, it's sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. You know? And Brian says they gave Bo Dallas a shot. Why? I'm still trying to figure that out. Bo Dallas is such a unique and fucking weird situation because his gimmick his gimmick is weird, and he's not really feuding with anybody. And I said to myself, why don't you just put him with Bray Wyatt? He is his brother. Why don't you just put him with Bray Wyatt? I think it would work. Because you'd have like good and evil, you'd have Bo Dallas preaching all this happy go lucky shit and Bray Wyatt preaching about the end of the world. I think it would work better and at least it would allow these guys to work better together versus, you know, split apart. I mean look at look at the great chemistry that you have with gold dust and stardust and how and how amazing they are together. You mean to tell me that Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt couldn't do good things together as part of the Wyatt family? It wouldn't work? Like, Bo Dallas can say, you know, I've been using my mom's name instead of using my real name, which is Bo Wyatt, you know, because I didn't want to bring shame to my family, but I've seen the light, and I Bo leave. You know, like, like it's, it's easy to do that because right now you're doing nothing with him. I don't even know who the fuck he's feuding with this week and nobody gives a shit about them. So at least if you do that and you acknowledge the real relationship between them, there's a possibility that it won't be complete dog shit. Simple as that. Anyway, our last match of the night John Cena Dean Ambrose taking on Kane, Randy Orton and Seth Rollins in a very very solid match which of course ended with the cell being brought down. Um we knew that was going to happen because again, it's a it's the hard cell, no pun intended. And, um, it was a good way to close out raw. The curb stomp from Seth Rollins to Randy Orton definitely raises a lot of red flags because it makes you wonder is, is Randy Orton going to cost Seth Rollins's match with Dean Ambrose or vice versa? And, um, you know, is that going to be the catalyst for the, uh, the rumored Randy Orton face turn? Very, very interesting questions for sure. We'll see how it goes, but, I mean, it was a decent Raw. It wasn't a great Raw, but it was better than it's been in the last couple of weeks. But we'll see what happens. Like I said, we got hell in the cell this Sunday. Let's get into the other wrestling news for the week. Um, With regards to TNA, which I haven't talked about at length in quite some time, their TV negotiations are still ongoing. I have no clue what network they're going to end up on. Um, but it 's definitely not going to be spike TV and based on what they 've been saying there 's going to probably be there 's going to probably be a lot of downsizing after they move to one of these other networks because they 're not going to make the same amount of revenue they were making with spike TV but we 'll see what happens there 's a rumor that we will be getting an announcement with regards to tna 's future next week that 's the rumor don 't quote me on it just yet so if you guys heard uh, the, the previous show, you know that there's an unspoken rule that any Divas that are on the Total Divas show are not allowed to win the Divas championship. It's a rumor that has been talked about. It's been addressed. Uh, Stephanie McMahon addressed it, and I'm going to get into that. But here's the crazy thing. If you thought that the Divas roster was thin now because of Total Divas, it's about to get a lot thinner because they just announced that Alicia Fox and Paige are going to be joining the next season of Total Divas in January 2015. Now, of course, you probably ask yourself, why doesn't AJ Lee get put on Total Divas? Well, there's a very simple reason for that, and that reason is called CM Punk. So... If you're hoping to see AJ Lee on any episode of Total Divas, it is never going to happen as long as WWE and CM Punk hate each other's guts. So there you have it. Now, with Alicia Fox and Paige, the only Divas not on the Total Divas show are AJ, Emma, Lana, Lillian Garcia, Eden, Renee Young, and Tamina Snuka. That's it. Everybody else is on total divas. How crazy is that? Now, if the rumors are true that they that the uh, the divas that are on the show can't win the belt, that means that Emma may actually win the divas championship Sunday, uh, someday. Excuse me, or Tamina Snuka as well when she comes back. Everybody else is on the show. It's it's insanity. Again. Total Divas booking has taken over the entire Divas division, leaving us with AJ and Emma. Lana can't wrestle due to an injury she sustained. Um, She's actually not allowed to take any bumps whatsoever. So if you're wondering why, if and when Lana's getting in the ring, it is not going to happen based on a report that I read that um, she sustained an injury in training uh, when she was starting out. And per doctor's orders, she cannot wrestle so Lana w- <clears throat> excuse me, Lana will be a manager for the foreseeable future, and she is not going to have any sort of physical contact whatsoever. so there you have it. any chance of Lana getting in the ring is out of here all right, so I want to talk about this uh, this rumor that pretty much picked up a lot of steam earlier this week involving Mickey James uh, when a a person on Twitter said um, that you know which diva they missed the most, and they said Mickey James. And she responded, "Hopefully not for long." Now, if you haven't listened to the show in the last couple of weeks, uh, Mickey James recently became a mom. Uh, she actually had a kid with uh, Magnus from TNA, and she has not been involved in pro wrestling since having her child. But a lot of rumors are floating around that she may be returning and heading to NXT as a trainer with the possibility of also being on the main roster. Now, Mickey James is an incredibly talented wrestler. She has a pretty decent country music career, but the full schedule after having a kid, you know, 300 days on the road, maybe not unless they give her a modified schedule, but I'll be honest when I say that bringing Mickie James in and not putting her on Total Divas would at least inject a little bit of energy and blood into a very, very stagnant division. Again, take this with a grain of salt, but it's interesting that it was acknowledged on Twitter and she did respond to it. Again, Mickie James, maybe even Victoria, if you bring Victoria to WWE, at least you got two women that are good in the ring and can at least give us some decent matches with the current crop of Divas. We still have Charlotte, maybe Bailey or Sasha Banks that may or may not get called up sooner rather than later. But even then, the 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 Divas roster that is actively able to perform is not gonna be the same. Mortis adds that Victoria is busy with her bar in Chicago. I, I've been seeing a lot of cool pictures from the Squared Circle, but I do think that Victoria would probably do well just as a as a veteran hand in the Divas division. It's true, she does have her business, but I think it would probably be good promotion as well if she was able to wrestle while still owning the bar, but that's just that's just me being selfish and wanting to see the Divas division succeed. Brian adds AJ Lee versus Mickey, Battle of the Crazies. That would be a really good match, and if you stretched it out, you could probably have some really, really good matches over a long period of time between both ladies. Um, again... We'll see what happens, but it is a rumor for the time being. Now, if you've read a couple of the different websites this past week, you know that Justin Roberts is no longer employed by WWE. Uh, Pretty much uh, the American Pie guy got the boot. And um, as of right now, it looks like Lillian Garcia will be running uh, the announced duties on Raw, and either JoJo or Eden will be doing announcing for SmackDown. I liked Justin Roberts. I think he was very good, but I have to admit that Lillian Garcia is the voice of the WWE for the time being and she should be on the flagship show. Again, no disrespect to any of the announcers um to any of the announcers that are there, but I do feel that when you think of Raw, you think of Lillian Garcia being the one holding the microphone, singing the national anthem. SmackDown, n- no disrespect to SmackDown because it's a good show, but I think uh, JoJo, who's also been doing a lot of the singing duties, would be, a good, would be a good announcer, or even Eden as well, who is pretty decent. I mean, Byron Saxton is good, but he's also been splitting his time between announcing and also uh, color commentary as well. So as of right now, Justin Roberts is out. Lillian Garcia is announcing on Monday Night Raw. In some sad news, I am sad to report that old-school wrestler and a guy who was probably one of the scariest guys i met, uh, Ox Baker, passed away. He was 80 years old. Um, Ox Baker originally started wrestling in the early 60s for the WWF Stampede Wrestling and the AWA. Uh, he was known for his famous heart-punch finisher, and he was, um, you know, it was crazy that Ox Baker... Had such a such a storied career, but most guys may remember him from being an escape from New York. He was also in the Big Brawl and also in Blood Circus. He appeared on The Price is Right as well. Um, the crazy thing, Ox Baker, I saw him at a couple of independent shows here in New York City. And even in his late 70s, he was a scary, scary man. He had really crazy looking eyebrows and a cool Fu Manchu beard. Uh, just an incredible presence. Uh, do yourselves a favor if you can. YouTube some of his matches. Um, you know, he was, um like I said, he was known for his heart punch finisher after being in a tag match with Alberto Torres. Uh, Torres was injured during the match. The guy died three days later, and he died from a ruptured appendix, but they actually used his death and blamed it on Ox Baker's heart punch. And because of that, the legend of the heart punch grew Quite a bit after that event. Now, obviously, it's all poor taste saying, oh, this guy died because of a, of a, of a wrestling finishing move. But you got to remember, this was the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's all about theatricality. And like I said, Ox Baker is a scary, scary guy. Um, um, you know, our condolences go out to Ox Baker's family. Uh, like I said, if you get a chance, see if you can pull up some of his matches on YouTube. Uh, WWE acknowledged his passing on their site. And like I said, he was he was a cool performer. He had a very unique look and um, passed away at the age of 80. So uh, again, my condolences to his family. Now I want to switch gears. I want to talk about Chris Jericho's book. Uh, Chris Jericho put out a brand new book. I actually missed the signing on the 14th. But um, a very cool story came out of the book and he shared it. Um, it involved Kofi Kingston of all people and Vince McMahon and that Kofi Kingston challenged Vince McMahon to a fight. This is pretty crazy. Um, According to Chris Jericho, he said that during a plane trip, uh, Vince McMahon walked by Kofi Kingston and said to him, and I quote, maybe one day you'll get over. According to Chris Jericho, Kofi was visibly disturbed by the jab, and when Chris Jericho was asked about it by Kofi Kingston, Chris Jericho suggested that he challenge Vince McMahon to a fight. Now, Kofi Kingston thought it was a joke, but Chris Jericho was 100% serious and told him that he should challenge Vince McMahon, you know, knowing how Vince McMahon is. So, Kofi Kingston went back on the plane and asked Vince if he had a problem with him, at which point they went back and forth for a little bit, and Vince McMahon shot in for a double-leg takedown. Uh, Vince McMahon and Kofi wrestled for a little bit, and then they got up, Vince McMahon laughed about the situation and, and said that he appreciated Kofi Kingston standing up for himself. Uh, Chris Jericho adds that Vince McMahon has been known to use a lot of amateur wrestling moves against the likes of Kurt Angle and other wrestlers, and that um, Chris Jericho said that he knew Kofi Kingston would get Vince's respect. I think, I think Vince McMahon is a fucking lunatic, and this is not the first time I've heard of him mixing it up with other wrestlers. Now, it's weird because imagine you walk into your office, your boss says something slick to you and your coworker says, well, you're going to go in there and you're going to threaten your boss to a fight. You're going to you're going to challenge your boss to a fight and you're going to fight your boss and he's going to respect you afterwards. It is a crazy, crazy scenario. And, you know, like I said, when you read it and you hear about it at, at, at first glance, you're like, "Ah, it's bullshit. But Vince McMahon has done this before. He's, he's, he's done it with Kurt Angle and a couple of other guys. This is like Vince McMahon's thing. I mean, the guy's 80 years old. You know, not 80, but, you know, he, he's definitely not a spring chicken. And going out there and mixing it up with these guys is fucking hilarious. But it's cool that Chris Jericho shared the story. And definitely cool that Kofi Kingston did the right thing and stood up for himself. Um, I would love to be a, a fly on the wall to see that stuff because... It's just you look at Vince McMahon. You can tell that Vince McMahon's like a like a like a rough and tumble kind of a guy. And um, even though I joke about it, I think that it, you know he's 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 probably as outspoken as outspoken gets. And I think that it's true. The only way that you're going to gain that guy's respect is by fighting him. And Brian asked about the uh, the Mickey Rourke story, which I was going to talk about next, about Vince McMahon allegedly challenging or saying that he would whoop. Frank Shamrock's ass, who was a bodyguard for Mickey Rourke. Uh, Frank Shamrock, of course, is going on record saying that that entire story was not true and that it was not him, but it was somebody else. But either way, Chris Jericho was obviously uh, trying to go over an angle with Mickey Rourke, and Mickey Rourke didn't understand that everything that Chris Jericho was doing leading up to their match, you know, to his involvement in their match, was for theatricality. Um, So... Hold on a minute. Val said that the gain on the mic is a little high. Let me turn that down a bit. Hopefully that'll be a little better. Uh, let me lower this too, just in case. <laughs> Thanks, Val. I, uh, brand new sound card, so you know how it is. Anyway, so Mickey Rourke thought that uh, Chris Jericho had legit beef with him. And when Chris Jericho rolled up, uh, Mickey Rourke had three or four bodyguards with him that he allegedly was going to have beat Chris Jericho's ass if they had real beef. And allegedly one of the bodyguards was rumored to be Frank Shamrock. And after the whole thing with Mickey Rourke, uh, Chris Jericho was telling Vince about it. And Vince was like, oh, I'll beat up the little guy who allegedly was Frank Shamrock. Like, like you hear these stories and you go, ah, it's all bullshit. But the thing that gets me is the fact that Vince McMahon is a fucking, is a lunatic. Here's this guy, he's a grandfather I mean, when Mickey Rourke was involved, Vince was definitely a little younger, but still not a spring chicken. He's talking about fighting, fighting, you know, a mixed martial artist, you know, alongside Chris Jericho. It's, it's insanity. It is insanity. And it just makes me, it makes me like, I don't even want to say it makes me love Vince McMahon's antics because Vince McMahon is as old school as old school gets. So I'm sure there's definitely a couple of things that he gets away with and that people let slide, but still Vince McMahon is, he is just a, an enigma, you know, to hear him going out and wrestling with, with, with Kofi Kingston or threatening to fight um, you know, Frank Shamrock or when he threatened Bob Costas, which is probably one of my favorite moments. You know, you look at stuff like that and you're like, yo, this, is, this guy was the Dana White before Dana White. You know what I mean? Like Vince McMahon, he's not out there jumping in front of every camera that he gets trying to make a soundbite. But every time Vince McMahon is on screen in a real, in a real capacity, you don't know what you're going to get because he's such a, an outspoken old school dude. But it's, it's a great story. Um, I actually read some of Chris Jericho's book, and it's, it's a great read. I mean, all of, all of Chris Jericho's books are great. I think his and Mick Foley's books are some of the best stories of professional wrestling. I mean, there's other great books out there. But Jericho's and Foleys, I've always enjoyed reading. I feel that they give us such a great picture of the business and some some really unique stories. I mean to to see that and 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 read that was definitely it brought a smile to my face. So um if you haven't picked up Jericho's book, I recommend you give it a read. You know, go to your local library, see if they got it. Otherwise, you know, Kindle is your friend as well. Alright, so let's talk about Hell in the Cell, which goes down this Sunday. Just want to do a little armchair booking, uh, go through the matches real quick. Uh, Nikki Bella and Brie Bella, if they're smart, they're probably going to give Nikki Bella the victory just because that way you can add more fuel to the fire. Obviously, the stipulation is that the loser of the match must be the personal assistant to the winner for a period of 30 days. Obviously, with Nikki Bella winning that match, you know that she's going to do a lot of terrible things to Brie Bella, which, of course, will continue their storyline. As for Big Show and Rusev, as much as we'd all like to see the Big Show win this match, it is not going to happen. The the ascension of Rusev as as they groom him to square off against John Cena is going to continue, and the Big Show is just going to be another victim for the Russian Goliath. On the tag team side of things, Goldust and Stardust square off against the Usos, and as much as I like the Usos, I think that Goldust and Stardust need to retain, and that's my prediction for that match. On the Divas side of things, AJ having the belt I think is just better from a storyline perspective, but I would not be shocked if they put it on Paige just to raise her profile a bit more before she heads to Total Divas. On the IC title side of things, they're going for a two-out-of-three falls match between Dolph Ziggler and Cesaro. As much as I like Ziggler as champion, I think Cesaro needs a little love, so I would not mind Cesaro winning the belt. On the U.S. side of things, please take the belt off of Sheamus because he's boring as fuck. So The Miz is my winner in that match. For Hell in the Cell, I think Dean Ambrose is going to win due to some involvement by Randy Orton. On the flip side, John Cena is going to win in his match against Randy Orton, probably due to some shenanigans by Seth Rollins. There you have it. So overall, my picks are Nikki Bella, Rusev, uh, the Dust Bros, Paige, Cesaro, The Miz, Dean Ambrose, and John Cena. So there you have it. Again, um, Hell in the Cell goes down this Sunday, and of course we will be live blogging the event. On RageWorks.net, myself, Slick, Quarkblade, Jay Santi, and the rest of the MTR team will be involved in the live blog. Last bit of news to close things out. It looks like Rey Mysterio may be done with WWE and may be heading to AAA. According to PWInsider.com, Hugo Savinovich who works with AAA and is a liaison for both Puerto Rico and the U, uh works with AAA as a liaison for both Puerto Rico and US territories recently told Miguel Perez from KGB Wrestling that Rey Mysterio has left WWE and it looks like Rey Mysterio will be signing with AAA. Uh WWE has not confirmed this at this time so take this with a rumor but we all know that Rey Mysterio has not been happy thus far and it wouldn't shock me in the least that WWE cuts him loose and probably puts him under a 90-day non-compete. Or, if they hash things out, we get one swan song for Rey Mysterio to wrap up his career and send him on his merry way. In any case, the ship for Rey Mysterio has sailed and given his knee injuries and you know just his, his lack of action the last couple of months, I, fe- I feel that at this point maybe it would be best if they went their separate ways. I mean, Rey Mysterio is a guaranteed WWE Hall of Famer, but I feel that given his injuries and just the, 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 the dissatisfaction from him as a performer, I think he would benefit from a change of scenery. Obviously, if we learn more, we will share it with you guys. Uh, Brian adds in the chat, the way I'd book it is have Orton win the match versus Cena, goes on to beat Lesnar, and have Rollins cash in on him. I would love to see that. I really would, but we all know that Super Cena and Brock Lesnar is WWE's meal ticket, but I like um, Brian's booking. Definitely a lot of great contributions from him and all our listeners in the chat room this evening. But with that, that is going to wrap up the show for this week. Just a couple of things before we go. Uh, Live episode of MTR episode 251, uh, Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. We're going to be talking gaming And we're also going to be talking entertainment news. Of course, the Avengers Age of Ultron trailer has been made public. And we're going to dig into that as soon as we go on air tomorrow. And we're also going to be posting it on Rageworks as well. Otherwise, My Take Radio will be back on air on November 5th and November 6th. Mark that on your calendars. There will be no live episodes on October 29th and October 30th. Due to our coverage of the Photo Plus Expo. As always, if you want to keep up with My Take Radio and RageWorks for My Take Radio, you can find us on Twitter at My Take Radio. Become a fan on Facebook, add us to your circle on Google And for all our other content, head over to RageWorks.net. Follow us on Twitter, Rage underscore works, or add us to your circles on Google Plus. Now, if you want to keep up with our YouTube accounts for my Take Radio, it is YouTube.com forward slash My Take Radio TV. Meanwhile for RageWorks, it is YouTube.com forward slash official Rageworks. On behalf of myself, Slick, Quarkblade, Jay, the rightist, Andrea, Josh, and the rest of the MTR team, I will see you guys later. Thanks for tuning in. We are out of here.